Well, good evening. Tonight we come to the very last in our series in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And I do so, I confess, with a slightly heavy heart because they've been in these wonderful six chapters over these weeks of lockdown and all the difficulties that that has brought. It has reminded me so clearly of all that we have in Christ. Many of our other Potential liberties have been taken from us as a result of restrictions and the virus itself. But thank God that in Christ we are blessed in those heavenly places. Let's read together the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 6, reading together from verse 21. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn to your word, whether seated in our own homes or watching this or listening to it at some other point during the week, we pray that your word, its truth, would pierce us like that sword of the spirit that it is, pointing out our faults, lifting our hearts towards Christ, rejoicing in all that is ours in the heavenly places. Father, bless this word and this time to us now. And may it be for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So I have those uh, five verses open in front of you tonight as we look at it over two broad headings. In the mid-1960s, the Australian athlete and Olympic hopeful Red Spears found himself stranded in London with no money for a plane ticket home. The javelin thrower had stayed on in London after some athletics meetings in order to have some specialist treatment on his shoulder, which ultimately proved unsuccessful. And so desperate to get back to Australia, especially in time for his daughter's birthday, Spears knew that the maximum size of a crate that could be sent by air freight, having worked in an airport for a time. And he'd been staying with a friend, John McSorley, in London, and persuaded him to build him a box, a crate, in which he could post himself home. To avoid any suspicion that there was actually a person inside, the crate was labelled as a load of paint and addressed to a fictitious Australian shoe company. Somehow, he managed to pull it off. And when the plane finally touched down in Perth over three days later, the cargo hold was open and Spears hurled heard the Australian baggage handlers swearing about the size of the crate and how heavy it was, he knew immediately that he was home. He thought to himself, I'm on home soil, amazing, wonderful, I made it. I was grinning from ear to ear, but I wasn't going to let them know I was in there now, not that I got this far. I knew they would take the box to a particular shed and when they put it in the shed on the air off the airport runway, I got out straight away. Spears had survived travelling in an aircraft hold in a crate, but he still faced the challenge of getting out of the airport. I got out of the crate and I found a box that had some tools in it. 
I cut a hole in the wall and got out. There was no security. I put on a suit that I had in my bag. I jumped through a window, walked out onto the street, thumbed a lift into town. It was as simple as that. The man who posted himself to Australia. And as we come to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Paul has no such worries about having uh, this final letter delivered in safety. Because we read in chapter 6 verse 21, Tychicus, a dear brother and faithful servant of the Lord, was going to carry it for Paul. Yet in a similar vein to Red Spears, whilst Tychicus was to act as the mailman, this letter was very much of Paul. Paul was sending his very heart and soul in this letter. Yes, whilst in prison for his cause, for Christ, many hundreds of miles from Ephesus, he had put his very heart into these six scintillating and spiritually enriching chapters. I hope that you find that during these difficult months too, this letter from a man in real-time lockdown, who had all his civil liberties nearly removed from him, has lifted our hearts and caused us to love the Lord more and grasp his love tighter. As we read this today, Paul was posting himself and entrusting his message to a quite remarkable mailman. One whom we might describe firstly today as a faithful servant. A faithful servant. Our focus at the start now is going to be on this one man, this faithful servant that we read about in verses 21 and 22. So who was Tychicus or Tychicus as he's called? Well, he was a Gentile by birth. And ironically, his Gentile, his Greek name, means by chance. Yes, fortuitous, lucky. But whether through the influence of Paul or another ministry, he had been converted to Christ and become part of that family of God that we call the church. His name appears five times throughout the New Testament. The first, if you want to check it out, is in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, where he accompanies Paul and his team on one of his missionary journeys and he's closely associated with another man called Trophimus, who in those same verses, is told, we're told, he was from the province of Asia. So it's likely that Tychicus himself was probably an Ephesian. He was probably from the Ephesus area. Tychicus is also described in almost identical language, if you want to flick on and have a look, in Colossians 4, verse 7 and 8. The, the words that Paul uses are almost exactly the same. And we know that he has, was required to carry the letter of the Colossians, the letter of the Ephesians, and the letter to Philemon together on that journey to modern-day Turkey. It was a little bit of a homecoming for Tychicus then, as he headed back to those areas that he knew. And the final reference to Tychicus in our Bibles is in Paul's very last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. As Paul prepares to face his trial and possible execution, he writes there, I send Tychicus to Ephesus. Now, these sporadic references to a letter carrier might not seem particularly spectacular. They're not particularly world-changing or they don't get our pulses racing particularly, but they do say something to us, don't they? For a start, the time between Tychicus' first appearance in Acts chapter 20 and his last appearance in the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 4 speak of something quite extraordinary. It's at least a 30-year span of unstinting, of unwavering commitment to Paul, and more importantly, the sharing of the gospel message across the Roman Empire. Is it any wonder that in verse 21, Paul calls him 
a faithful servant. 30 years of unstinting service. He wasn't one of the big name speakers. He wasn't even an apostle. He doesn't have a Bible book name after him. He wasn't one of the Bible's leading men. He was a mailman. Always available for Paul. Willing to serve. Appearing at just the right time in order to fulfill clear gospel purposes. And he had such a love for his home church in Ephesus. He had a love for Christ church right across the empire. Where there was a need for a willing walker, a willing worker, an available servant, Tychicus was always on hand. And he was obviously known to the readers of this letter. They would have accepted him into their homes with great gladness. He was a faithful servant in Christ's kingdom. This man was no one-hit wonder. He was doing it repeatedly, over thousands of miles that he must have walked over those 30 years and over those many people that he met. He gave his life to serving Christ across Christ's church. He walked hundreds of miles to deliver these letters of hope and rebuke, challenge and encouragement, back and forth, uncomplainingly, with a desire that the church would be blessed and protected, helped by heeding these words. And we read in verse 21 that he was a dear brother. Paul speaks of Tychicus with a deep affection, a dear brother. Many years ago in Aberystwyth in Wales, my dad was staying for a while with a couple who were predominantly Welsh-speaking. It wasn't something that had been planned. It was a rather off-the-cuff arrangement after my dad had been speaking at some meetings there. But knowing the husband's name was Jeff, that was fine, but he had never been properly introduced to Jeff's wife. And so my dad did what anyone would do as he listened to the conversations that went back and forth around the main table and across the home. He began to hear on at least three occasions Jeff referring to his wife as Cariat. It sounds kind of Welsh, doesn't it? it? Sounds nice, like a nice Welsh name, Cariat. Unusual, but nice. And so with confidence later on in the evening, my dad began to refer to Jeff's wife as Cariat. Cariat, Cariat. It was only just before bedtime, because this had persisted all evening, that this Christian couple felt that they had to break the news to my dad and set him straight that the word cariat in Welsh means darling. My dad was using a very familiar term and maybe going beyond this couple's hospitality. But the Apostle Paul was a Jew by birth, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, one who trusted in the power and providence of Almighty God. Tychicus was a Gentile, probably from somewhere near Ephesus, growing up worshipping the goddess Diana, and his name meant chance. And yet Paul calls him a dear brother because now they have this incredible bond in Christ. The old walls of any kind of division between these two competing societies and cultures came crashing down all because of Christ sharing in the same faith, the same gospel, the same Lord, the same saviour. The gospel brings us into these new unique family bonds of affection and we have got to work hard in seeing one another as dear brothers and sisters, sharing in this same affection. For Tychicus is an Ephesian, he finds himself in his line of duty, in Jerusalem and Colossae and Troas and Laodicea, wherever he was sent, he was received as a dear brother. The family of God knew their own. The family of God know who are theirs when they meet those from other nations or backgrounds or church fellowships. 
There's a spiritual bond that unites us despite our physical, social, material backgrounds. Paul had no fear in calling this little-known Gentile man named Lucky brother. Dear brother, beloved friend. I love these words of Paul for they remind us that the church is not made up of the all-stars. Sadly, we've turned Christian speakers and pastors and praise bands and ministries and music and mission into brands that we sell. Who sang it? Who said it? We'll only listen to it if we know who wrote it, we ask. Whilst Paul is quick to honour the men and women in the shadows. I know whether Tychicus or Tychicus, you know, around school, if there was someone quite small, probably all very on PC these days, if they were known as someone who was very small, they were Tychy. And Tychicus here, Tychicus, he might have been small in the world's eyes, might have even been small in the church's eyes. But he was honoured, honoured by Paul, honoured as a brother. He's a bit like the deaconess Phoebe in Rome that Paul refers to at the end of Romans. Or Epaphroditus as he writes in the letter of the Philippians who displayed Christ-like character in their servant heart devotion to the church. Read the closing words in many of Paul's letters and he lists the names of these people who we just don't know who they are. We just hear their name. But they were important to Paul. They served the church. Listen, there are scores of people in La Comfort and Union Road who are unsung heroes. Men and women, boys and girls who do the behind the scenes kind of stuff of running for the people in church and giving themselves for the smooth running of the church, whose hidden lives are the heartbeat of the church, whose servant hearts will be honoured by the Lord. Let me ask you, even through these further restrictive pandemic days, with all the recent added frustrations, whom are we serving? Are we seeking to serve ourselves? Are we seeking to serve the Lord quietly, unobtrusively, lovingly, thinking who best can we serve in these times of difficulty? Who was Tychicus? A magnificent mailman. A trustworthy church member who was prepared to go the second, third, hundred mile for the Jesus he loved and the churches that he served. What did Jesus promise those believers who died and leave this scene of time? What did he say? The words of welcome. Well done, good and faithful preacher? No. Well done, good and faithful pastor? No. Well done, good and faithful elder, BB leader, Sunday school teacher, organist, pianist, long-term church member. No. Well done, good and faithful servant. The servant heart of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. This Tychicus was going the way of his saviour. But what was Tychicus being asked to do? Well, two things stand out in verses 21 and 22. He was to update the Ephesians on how Paul was, bringing news about Paul and his condition, all in order that he might, verse 22, be an encouragement. It's the root word for encouraging, comforting, putting things right. You see, Tychicus may well have been the one who actually wrote the letter he was carrying for Paul. In that, I mean, he may have been Paul's scribe, the one who was writing as Paul dictated these wonderful six chapters. Tychicus now held a huge responsibility, not just in carrying the letter and delivering the letter, but in reading the letter and taking questions about the letter. 
You know, you can just imagine after the letter was finished, he might have said, well, any questions? There might have been a hand up saying, Tychicus, what did Paul mean by? Or, Tychicus, could you explain grace to us again? Or, what does it mean, Tychicus, to belong to Christ, but, you know, really I hate my boss, or I, I find it really hard to live with an annoying husband or wife. Paul entrusted it all to Tychicus, not just to carry the letter, but encourage others through this letter because he shared the same spirit of the letter. These were Paul's words, inspired by God's spirit, but applied to the Christian church in Ephesus by means of this faithful mailman Tychicus. Oh, don't you long to be known as a dear brother and sister, to be known as faithful, over the long haul, over the many years of our lives. To be known as a servant, to be known as an encourager, not seeking the limelight, but serving the Lord. Not coming and going, but someone who was a long-term committed person. Not looking for encouragement, but being an encourager. Not wanting to be known as successful, but known as always faithful. These are the character traits of a true believer who has given herself, himself, over to Christ and loves his church. And so we've thought about a faithful servant tonight, Tychicus. But secondly and finally, we come full circle. And we want to finish by focusing on four words from Ephesians 6, verses 23 and 24. If you've read any of Ephesians with us since April, followed any of these sermons, you'll be able to pick out those words just by looking at the Bible just now with me. Can you spot them? Verse 23, peace. Verse 23, love. Verse 23, faith. Verse 24, grace. Paul ends this letter the way he began, wanting us to sink deeper into the assurances that we have in Christ Remember Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, get it open there, see it in front of you. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. Ephesians 2 verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Ephesians 2 verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from ourselves, it's a gift of God. Ephesians 2 verse 14, for he himself is our peace, that is Jesus, due to his blood. Ephesians 3 verse 12, in Christ and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Do you see those words? Peace, love, faith, grace, each one a gift of God. Peace, love, faith and grace only come from God who is the source of all that is good. You see, in these closing verses, re-emphasize for us that God is the source of it all. God is the substance of our salvation and he is the one who shares that with us. He's a God who has been sinned against by this human race. We were enemies of God, at war with him and his word, hating his commands, breaking his laws, worshipping anything but him, choosing wrong over right, darkness over light, my way over his way, sin over salvation, short-term thrills over eternal pleasures, wrath rather than forgiveness, 
filthy rags in comparison to incomparable riches, our souls at war with Almighty God. But we are twisted and gnarled up inside with these shriveled hearts, dead with no spiritual pulse. But he reaches down and offers us peace. We didn't go looking for him. He came down looking for us. And if we're honest, our hearts have been in that place of dis-peace for so long. How we need true peace. Peace is not some kind of sentimental notion like mindfulness. You know how many of us have these watches these days? You know, those fancy watches that tell you when it's time to get up and move a little bit or get up from your sedentary or seated position. To stand for a while or walk a few steps. The kind of watches that tell us how far we've walked today. How many litres of water we should have been drinking. How many calories have been burned. And for some of us those watches even buzz us and bleep us to tell us it's time to breathe. Breathe. Exhale. Inhale. Now, no offence to these very clever watches but I've managed to get to my mid-40s and, and I think I have a pretty good idea about how I'm to breathe. Got this far in my life anyway. But these reminders are designed to give us peace. To settle us if it sense that our hearts are racing. Everything from the car that pulls out in front of us. That sends our blood pressure up a bit. To the exasperation of getting to the shop door. Only to realise you've left your wallet or your face mask in the car. To the extreme of having an unexpected phone call. That has the potential to change our lives forever. And that watch on my arm or your arm might buzz and tell us to breathe. Let me give you some peace for a few minutes, it's saying. But it never lasts. That's never the long-term solution. A watch needs charged that tells us how to breathe. We need that kind of reminder in our lives again and again. And that is why we need a hold together deeper peace, a more meaningful peace, an eternal peace, for in our hearts we know if confronted by God our sin would be exposed, our embarrassment great and our lives would lie in ruins. But in Jesus Christ we have peace with God. Precisely because our sin was exposed for how sinful it really was as Jesus was burned up in the Father's wrath. Our embarrassment over our sin is seen in the humiliation Jesus took on our behalf. Exposed in every manner and his life ruined as it were. As he dies that death on the cross that should have been ours. One of hellish degradation and humiliation. That's how weighty sin is. But the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace we are at one with God through our Lord Jesus. And what about love? From God. As I thought about this love of God again this week, I cannot escape those verses from Ephesians 3 18 and 19. If you haven't learnt them yet, why not make the effort to do so and write it on a post it note over your fridge or your work diary or have it scroll across your mobile phone every day that we might have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Let me remind you in the words this time of Pastor Paul Mallard what this all means. This love is wide, crossing time and space to save sinners, known beyond its reach and power. God can save us from any and every sin. Long, it is from eternity past to eternity future. What was God doing in eternity past? 
Well, the Father was loving the Son. Together with the Spirit, they were loving us and planning our salvation. His love makes us confident of eternity. Bliss in the future. All the result of his love set upon us in the past. Long. High. It brings us into possession of every spiritual blessing. It takes us out of the gutter and seats us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Deep. Deep as Calvary. The greatest distance in the universe is not between the massive galaxies that spin out there. It is distance between the throne of heaven and the cross of Calvary. Holiness and where sin was atoned for. Yet God crossed that huge distance, that great gulf to save us. Do, do you remember that chorus? I can't get it out of my head this week. That we probably would have sung as children. Wide, wide is the ocean. High as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Saviour's love. I, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. Yes, some as a child, but far from childish. I, oh, though so unworthy, still am a child of his care. For his word Ephesians teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. Oh, we need to hear that again and again and again. Love with faith, we read, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only in Christ and by faith in Christ that we receive any of these blessings. And we can draw near and be confronted by God and comforted by God to make these eternal promises our own. As you sit watching this sermon tonight, are you totally reliant on Jesus? Faith means leaning one's whole self onto him. Like reclining back in a comfortable chair, knowing that will hold our whole weight. It means giving up every self-made, self-planned scheme to make ourselves look good, sound good and more acceptable before God and other people. All too many of us have been playing at this for so long, hanging around the fringes of faith, scooting around the edges of church, being about, kind of looking the part, doing your bit, but not leaning your whole life entirely on Christ. Some of us still hoping, genuinely, some of us who think we're fine Christian folk, still hoping that a little bit of our acceptance will depend upon us. Our Northern Ireland niceness, our common decency, our church attendance, our doing good to otherness, rather than Christ's righteousness. The love of Christ is available to us and for us. And maybe we think he won't like this about me or he'll be slow to forgive me that sin or he doesn't know this about this part of me. All of which are excuses for throwing ourselves entirely upon our God, the Saviour who can handle it all. For when Jesus said it is finished at the cross, it was, everything was paid for. Every darkness, every doubt, every suffering, every sadness, every confusion, every betrayal, every mark of unfaithfulness in our life, he paid for it all. I think I've shared this to you before, but in a different context. Whenever I was serving on a short-term team uh, with OMF in Taiwan, there was one day I entered our hotel room in our accommodation and walked into that room and all our luggage was gone. All of it. And my colleagues in the team often quoted that back to me later on. As I said, all of it, actually, it's all gone. Every piece, all of it's gone. All of it. What I had done wrong 
was get out of the lift on the wrong floor of the hotel. Only to head to the same corner of the hotel and the door that looked the same, but only the floor was the floor below. And the door of that room was open, identical in furnishings, wardrobes, lockers, was exactly the same. But this room was empty. I was mistaken. My baggage was all there, just an identical room up above. But spiritually speaking, everything has gone. All our baggage has been taken care of. It is still there, but it's been taken care of by Christ. And do you believe that? Do we have faith in this incredible love? Do we? But what enables us to have faith in such an incredible love? Well, it's grace, isn't it? We read here, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Peace, love, faith, all rooted in what God has done towards us by his grace. You know, I think all of us are guilty of it. I've done it. I, I used to think that grace was a spiritual substance, a thing that God stores up in great piles behind his heavenly throne and he kind of gives us bits of it as we go along. In other words, grace is stuff that God gives that's apart from he kind of hooks around for it and hands it out in a loving way. But how wrong I and so many others have been. Grace is not a thing. Grace is not stuff that God gives. Grace is not something that God runs out of. God gives us himself when we don't deserve it. He gives us himself. That is grace. And the often repeated definition of grace as an undeserved gift is right. But it does not go far enough when referring to the grace of God. Grace, yes, is a gift, but God is not only the giver, God is the gift. God graces us with himself. He comes to us to save us because he is the saviour. You see, grace always presupposes that there's sin and guilt on our part. Grace is meaning only when men and women see themselves as fallen, unworthy and liable to eternal wrath. Or to put it in slightly different terms, Grace does not contemplate sinners merely as undeserving, but as ill-deserving. It is not simply that we do not deserve grace, it's that we deserve hell. But grace is the gift of God himself who takes our hell in our place. And that is where this last verse of Ephesians is a little bit confusing in this translation in the NIV. It is not meant to mean, I believe that we have an undying love, that we have an undying love, but rather... His love for us is undying, incorruptible, eternal. God does not just have a, we would call it a wee passing notion for us. He is not just interested in you and in love with you when you're well and when you're faithful. And whenever you come to him crying those tears in conversion and you're successful and you're interesting or you're striving to live a Christian life. No, he is forever committed to us. When we sin and slip up, when we face illness or battle temptation, when we're old or housebound or infirm, when we're laid aside or cut off or frustrated, that grace towards us is ill-deserving, towards hell-deserving sinners is overturned in its entirety by Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 7 tells us, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. 
Warren Wearsby captures it beautifully as we finish. Paul was a prisoner of Rome, yet he was richer than the emperor. No matter what our circumstances may be, in Jesus Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. To summarise this whole letter in one sentence, God has provided everything we need in Christ. He is the one who has posted himself to us as it were and come to this world not in a wooden crate like red spears but laid in a wooden manger and hung on a wooden cross in order to bring us to his eternal home. This loving and eternal and gracious God coming down for you and for me. To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his mercy and grace, to the praise of his glory, he is the God who saves.